The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, and I'm here once again with my faithful co-pilot, Alicia Backman-Beharry. How are you doing, Alicia? I'm doing well, Mark, and we thought we would get back to some of the tried and true aspects of business immigration law and start talking about one of the free trade agreements that applies to probably the most countries out there, but probably might be the least used on a regular basis, but um, it does cover a lot of basis and that's that's the GATS, so the General Agreement on Trades and Services. Exactly. And I think most of us, when we're looking at, uh, you know, obtaining work permits for uh, professionals and, and intercompany transfers, we always tend to, well, at least on the intercompany transfer side, we, we just use the the general provisions um and the, the and uh but when it comes to professionals sometimes there are unique situations that um that just don't quite fit into the norm and uh it's always good although gats tends to be an afterthought for most of us business immigration um lawyers out there uh, it's always good to just take a peek at, at the gats which is the general agreement on trade and services and and see if um depending on the, the length of the stay, because usually these are designed for more short-term entries, but there's some unique parameters. And yeah, Alicia, let's dive in. And this episode is going to be a little bit shorter than some of the other ones that we've done in the past, but this is more just an awareness of what's out there so that if this situation arises, you will know um, that this could be a potential option for you. All right. So why don't you kind of just give a little introduction, Alicia, to the to this you know, this category that's been in existence for as long as I've been practicing. Mm -hmm. It's been out there for a very long time. And the ability to use it depends on whether the candidate or the applicant that you're bringing in has member status, is a citizen of one of the member nations through the World Trade Organization. And so this list of World Trade Organization members changes frequently. It's funny, on the IRCC website, they still have the, the figures, the numbers from 2005, and then the link to the World Trade Organization website only has it updated to 2016. So as of 2016, there were 164 member nations. So if you happen to have an applicant who's a citizen, you can, you can only have citizen of one of these member nations. And the only exemption is if you have a candidate who is a permanent resident in Australia or New Zealand. So first off, you know, this is not an option unless the candidate that you're looking at happens to have citizenship in one of the WTO member nations or is a PR of Australia or New Zealand. And just to situate our listeners, 
we are still talking about LMIA exempt work permits and theoretically GATS applies to, you know, we, you could come in as a business visitor and ICT, but those are usually under the regular provisions. So really what GATS is focusing on are the professionals. And so if you happen to have a professional and it's only a group one or a group two professional who's covered by GATS, then this could be an option. But as you alluded to, Mark, the reason that I personally very, very, very rarely would use GATS is because there is a very strict 90 consecutive days, three month cap on the duration of any work permit that's issued under GATS. Yeah. Now, Alicia, with that, you know, the, the parameters at least around this work permit indicate a maximum of three months or 90 consecutive days within a 12 month period. So I, I've never tried to have someone who is parachuting in and out, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, try to stretch that throughout the whole year. But do you think that's possible or are they that's only going to issue a 90 day work permit and, yeah. uh, and that's it, right? Because yeah. you pretty much have to say, officer, um, this is, uh, I'm only here for a week. So please just issue me a one week work permit and you're paying $230 each time for the international mobility you know, the offer of employment, but, you know, I, I'm always looking, okay, how can I extend this? Because it does say a maximum of three months, but just, you can't do more than 90 consecutive days. So just mm -hmm. food for thought. I don't know if any of our colleagues out there has tried that technique, but it would be pretty cumbersome. <laughs> I'm guessing they would only issue, yeah, any individual work permit for up to three months. I'm guessing that's probably what the term would be. But they do say that when, so for the officers, they do say that the period or the duration of the work permit should be tied to the scope of the project. And so, you know, if you tried to come in on projects and you were going to exceed your three months or your 90 days, then I'm sure they'd probably shut you down. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. All right, so let's keep going and just provide kind of a general overview of some of the the, the basic requirements and, and uh, what the permit looks like in the end, ability to extend, um, all those kinds of things, mm -hmm. or lack well, we'll of an ability. Right. We'll tackle the ability to extend right away, which is there is none. So a lot of times for other corporate business immigration strategies, you know, we will suggest that somebody either do an LMIA and then they can have that person come in. And if the candidate wants to transition to PR, then you've got the points on the LMIA. They can earn their Canadian high-skilled work experience, or maybe they're doing the IMP pro program and they're doing an employer-specific work permit under another free trade agreement, and then they can transition to PR that way. Well, GATS is not really a good candidate for this. It is only that three-month, 90-day period, and then there are no extensions possible at all. So keep that in mind that if you are bringing someone in under GATS, I guess it could be a stopgap measure. Like if you were still in the advertising phase of an LMIA and you were waiting for that LMIA to come in, or maybe you had something else needing to fall into place on getting in another free trade agreement application. Um, so maybe you could use it for that, but otherwise there are no extensions possible under GATS itself. You know, when I think about this category, Alicia, um, you know, one of the things that most people ask, I'm a professional and I have a job offer in Canada and uh, I'm, 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 you know, I'm citizen of one of the member countries. And if we looked, you know, as, as we did, if you go back uh, the listeners and listen to the podcast episode for Kusma, the Canada-US-Mexico agreement, the, the 
professional categories quite broad. So aside from not hanging out a shingle, in other words, just being self-employed, it doesn't allow that. But if you have a Canadian employer, it's fine and dandy. And it's a great, very, very great uh, and well, well utilized tool to secure a work permit for professionals that are on the designated list. But it's not that way with GATS, is it, Alicia? No, there's a number of restrictions with respect to the signed contract that people should be aware of. And so take careful note of the business relationship between Canadian entity and the foreign country organization. And so there must always be a signed contract between that foreign service provider and the Canadian service consumer. So there are a few wrinkles to keep in mind. Um, they do say that the contract can be signed by that foreign service provider that is located in, the, in any foreign member nation or that the Canadian-based company that's established by the foreign service provider to sell its services in Canada could also be a signatory. So, you know, if you're setting up a corporation or a branch organization and wanting to bring people in on a short-term basis because of that, this could be a good solution. However, it is not possible to use foreign personnel placement or personnel supply agencies. So those types of third-party contracts are never allowed under GATS and there's no subcontracting possible. So when that work permit is eventually issued, you have to have that employee working for only the employer named under the GATS work permit. It's employer specific. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, often we will secure work permits for a company who then has a number of clients that they're servicing. And so in those circumstances, the work permit would be issued, you know, on behalf of the, well, the Canadian employer. And then we will often request that the geographic location be broad enough to allow them to work at any client site across Canada. So a client versus a subcontracted situation, how do you see that playing out in this, in this type of a work permit? Does it, yeah. Could it be perceived by an officer to extend to that type of a situation? Um, I think it would be hard pressed to say that that's a subcontractor situation because you're just performing duties on behalf of the company and the company itself provides services to clients. So it's not like you're being subbed out. But I always think, you know, what is a border service officer agent? You know, what are they going to, how are they going to interpret this? And, you know, if you don't really understand the fundamentals, which sometimes border officers you know, some are less experienced on the immigration side. You know, sometimes I wonder if that trips it up. If you say, yes, they're coming in for 90 days and they're going to be providing services in Manitoba and BC. And we'd like this to say, you know, authorized to provide um, services at client sites across Canada. You know, if that would somehow be an impediment to this. Well, I think it is always important that you're not playing fast and loose or trying to find a loophole to set this up to say that really they're working for company A when in fact they're actually doing work for companies B, C, D, and F. But if company A does actually have a number of existing clients with different locations, then that's something that you'd really want to build out in your offer of employment through the employer portal, or you'd want to put that in your submission package or both and really specify and make sure that the employee knows who is paying them, who their ultimate employer is for, you know, reporting reasons and also for payroll, but then where is the location of work? And that's always a, a dance at the border to make sure that that gets coded properly in the work permit. It's super important for sure. Um, but I think as long as, as long as the employee is actually 
getting paid and reporting to and having the employment relationship with company A, that's what's going to be important so that they're not offside on the subcontracting strictures. And the other thing I'll mention too, Mark, is that you can't be providing services for certain sectors under GATS. So nothing related to education, healthcare services, recreational, culture, or sports. So that's Mm. always a no-go. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, how broad do they extend it? Education, you know, are we talking no post-secondary, no high school, you know, or, or primary strictly teaching? Do they extend it beyond that to you know, you're coming in to to provide instruction to some type of a private entity. Um, it, it, yeah, there's no definition for these terms as far as I'm aware. Uh, so obviously you just kind of make your pitch. Um, and then obviously health-related services is also extremely broad. So um, yeah. just be aware, I guess. I mean, you know. Yeah. So the way that you can look at it is making sure that the person is going to be a professional falling in either group one or group two, and that the services that they are contracted to provide aren't infringing on education, health, rec, culture, and sports. And when you look at the GATS one and two, so uh, group number one would be anybody who actually is an engineer, agrologist, architect, forestry professionals, geomatic professionals, and land surveyors. So most of the time, I don't think those people are going to be directly engaging in education or health, right? Yeah. Most. So this is, I'm coming in as an engineer to teach at a university or something like that. I guess that would be an example of the prohibition. Mm-hmm. And then group two actually has three occupations in it, foreign legal consultants, urban planners, and then the last one is the senior computer specialists. And for all of these groups, so if you take a look at group one and two, I mean, engineers, architects, geomatics, land surveyors, a lot of these are licensed professions. They're mandatory regulated occupations. And one of the wrinkles in GATS is that you can't just show up and start working as an engineer in Canada anywhere, of course. And so the requirement under GATS is that people actually have gone and made sure that they have contacted the appropriate regulatory authority provincially and then also they have received a license and so they actually have to have their license set up before they come in and work under their GATS work permit. Which is a lot of work for a 90-day permit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. So make sure that if you are going to use GATS, your candidate has pre-planned and prepared. So especially for engineers, make sure that they have all their licensing, all their original language degree and transcript, their certified interpretations, that they are making sure to get their credentials vetted and that they're going through that registration process with a PEGA, for example, or any of the provincial uh, regulators. And then they, they have to start that licensing provincially as well. What about um, place of application? Is this something that can be done at a POE or do they push you to the visa offices? Mm -hmm. And again, this depends on your country of nationality. And so, of course, if the member nation under the WTO is visa required, if the candidate is visa required, then you have to be submitting this as a online application because that person's also going to need to get that visa stamp in their passport, that counterfoil, in order to be able to travel to Canada. And so it has to be uh, an application that's done ahead of time online. Only if that person is a WTO um, member 
resident or a citizen of a member, then they could potentially do this application at the POE as long as they only need an ETA to travel to the border. Again, ahead of time, us as council would have to have submitted that offer of employment through the employer portal with the employer. And then they have the, e, the A number and the O number and the application package, which is presented at the time of entry at the POE. Great. Well, one of the things um, when we have these restrictive type of, of programs, um, they're often used as bridging tools to, to bridge a certain period of time until you get things sorted out. So in many circumstances, when we're looking at GATS, it's often in situations where maybe you need to have someone come in a little bit sooner. Maybe ultimately the goal is to get them on a labor market impact assessment, but the service they're providing and the company they're coming from and those kinds of things does meet the parameters of GATS, then one strategy for sure is to use this as a bridge until you can get the LMIA process rolling. And, um, and it's, you know, it's no different than the, the podcast. I guess the last one I think I did was C10. You know, there may be circumstances where you just need the person here now and you can't wait for the LMIA, but Ultimately, that's the direction you need to go. So you can consider GATS to some extent as a potential bridging tool um, to get the person working here quicker uh, before you actually transition to an LMIA. But remember, as always, that uh, you know that the parameters for this are pretty narrow, and uh, and with the licensing and other things, it's you know it's going to be a little bit of work for sure. Any other final yeah, thoughts on GATS, Alicia? Yeah, uh, take a look at the fine print. Make sure that you're going back to the agreement because it isn't ideal for brand new set, a startup situations, right? It's not something where you want to try to be, or where you would want to try to push the envelope. It it really is important. There's some interpretive notes on what doing business involves and the foreign-based employer has to be established for a reasonable period of time, actively doing business, which is a defined term. Um, if they're looking at, you know, bringing in computer specialists or legal consultants or urban planners, then the Canadian employer must be engaged in substantive business this also. So this is not kind of a, a parachute into a new startup organization. And keep in mind too that specifically for senior computer specialists, they only allow 10 entrants per project. And so they're they're really trying to make sure that the requirements for labor market tests are still met. Right? They're they're really trying to make sure that companies that should be going and doing that LMIA do still go and do that LMIA. You bet. And just to reiterate, if you're in a situation where there is an, an intra-company transfer you know, type of a relationship, then you're always going to go through the general provisions. You're not going to go through this, even though it is technically on the books as, as well as the business visitor entry. But keep mm-hmm. these, these things in mind and it's just one more tool in your toolbox. And uh, there may be a situation where this fits just perfect. It might be a rare situation, but there may be one. So we encourage you to keep this uh, as one of the tools and keep it sharp in your toolbox. And maybe there will be a situation where it could arise. All right. Well, uh, our next uh, series of podcasts are going to be a little bit shorter like this. And we're going to knock off each of the various free trade agreements um, little by little. We've got uh, potentially some guests that are going to join us that have had a little bit more um, day-to-day experience uh, being located in some of these member countries outside of Canada. So we we're probably going to have a guest or two join Alicia and I, but we'll keep you posted and, and, and stay tuned. And we want to give a special shout out to our sponsor, as always, 
Journey Business Plans, who um, really is there to help and support any of your clients that are struggling with that and uh, who need a business plan, especially in startup situations with intercompany transfers, um, even self-employed permanent resident applications, and, and the list goes on wherever a business plan is needed. Uh, think Journey. All right. Thanks, Alicia. We will see you again in our next episode. Thanks, Mark. Journey Business Plans is the leading immigration business plan writing service provider in Canada. With more than 10 years of experience, Journey has grown to become a trusted partner for immigration consultants and lawyers. Journey focuses on preparing business plans for a number of immigration applications, including intercompany transfers, startup visas, significant benefits, self-employed, PNPs, and so much more. Their main competitive advantages are reliability, responsiveness, and overall customer service, and I can attest to that. For those of you who don't yet know about Journey, ask your colleagues about them. They're amazing. Or even better, try out their work. You can visit their website at www.jooorney.ca and mention you listen to my podcast with the code HOLTHYJOURNEY10. That's H-O-L-T-H-E-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y number 10. And that'll provide you with a 10% discount on your very first business plan for new lawyers. We're so grateful to have Journey Business Plans as the title sponsor of this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holtylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian Immigration.